This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. Today we're going to continue our studies in the book of Job, and we're going to begin looking in Job chapter 20. In Job chapter 19, Job had just warned his friends that judgment is coming and that the way that they have accused him will cause them to face the wrath of God. That's Job 19.29, where he says, Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword, that ye may know there is a judgment. Wayne Jackson on page 53 of his book, The Book of Job, says this, and I quote, Like a slumbering volcano, Zophar erupts in a caustic railing against Job, sparked by the patriarch's warning of judgment upon his antagonist, unquote. So in Job chapter 20, we're going to see Zophar's response to what Job just had to say. First of all, we see that Job's words roused Zophar's thoughts. That's Job 20, verses 1 to 3. And verses 1 and 2 there, Zophar acknowledges that Job's speech arouses his emotions and causes him to, or cause him to burst out upon Job. Job 20, verses 1 and 2. Then answered Zophar the Naamathite and said, Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer, and for this I make haste. Zophar was eager and in a hurry to answer Job. Zophar is seething with anger, and he could no longer contain himself. In Job 20 verse 3, Zophar feels that Job's words of correction are an assault on his self-respect. Job 20, verse 3. I have heard the check of my reproach, and the spirit of my understanding causeth me to answer. So Zophar says he's heard Job's violent and severe language used against them and answers Job according to Zophar's own understanding. <clears throat> the word check there in verse 3 comes from the Hebrew word musar. Brown Driver Briggs defines that word as discipline, chastening, correction. So he's heard the chastening and the correction that Job has given. And then the word reproach, the check of my reproach, the chastening of my reproach, the Hebrew word kelamah. And there Brown Driver Briggs defines that word as this. Disgrace, reproach, shame, confusion, dishonor, insult. So Zophar is telling Job, You've been trying to disgrace us, shame us, dishonor us, and insult us. So I'm going to answer your accusations. 
Well, in Job chapter 20, verses 4 through 11, Zophar suggests that the prosperity of the wicked is brief and has no satisfaction. First of all, Zophar goes back to the same old argument that they've been using, and that's the knowledge of those of old time. Job 20, verse 4. Job 20, verse 4 says, Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed on the earth? In other words, he's saying, Job, this has been true from old time ever since man was created. So Zophar is here appealing to the same argument that Bildad did back in Job chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. Job 8, 8 through 10. For I inquire of thee, pray of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, because our days upon the earth are a shadow. Shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart? So Zophar is using the same thing, and he's just saying, we all know this to be true, Job. You know, this is obvious from human experience. This is what we're looking at here, Zophar is telling Job. And then he says, here's what we know. Verse, verse 5. The wicked are prosperous for a short while, and then God brings it all to an end. Verse 5 says that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment. So Zophar is saying that the shouting for joy of the wicked, uh, you, Job, is brief. The glee of the hypocrite you, Job, last for a very short space of time. Again, you, Job. Well, the wicked may exalt himself and have great prosperity, so far as going to say in verse 6. says, Though his excellency mount up to the heavens, and his head reach unto the clouds. So right there, Job, uh, you've exalted yourself and you've had great prosperity. Now, let's look at the next verse, verse 7. In verse 7, Zophar is going to say, the wicked will perish forever and be discarded like his own body waste. Job 20, verse 7. Yet he shall perish forever like his own dung. They which have seen him shall say, Where is he? So Job, you are going to perish from this earth and in the world to come. In other words, forever. Your body is dust and your soul is destined for torment. And people are going to wonder what ever became of you? Well, in verse 8 of Job 20, Zophar tells him that the wicked will vanish like a dream and lie lifeless in the earth. Verse uh, 8 said, he shall fly away as a dream 
and shall not be found. Yea, he shall be chased away as a vision in the night. <clears throat> you know, Job, you're going to vanish away and be quickly forgotten like a dream is. You know, when we dream, we seem to see objects that appear to be real, but then when we wake up, they vanish. Well, and then Zophar says in verse 9, the wicked shall be seen no more by the people of his locality. Job chapter 20, verse 9. The eye also which saw him shall see him no more. Neither shall his place any more behold him. Well, these are Job's own words that Zophar is using against him. Look, go back to Job chapter 7. Look at verses 8 and 10. Job 7, 8, and 10. And this is Job speaking. He started speaking back in chapter 6. In verse 8, Job says, The eye of him that hath seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. And then in verse 10, it says, He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Well, Zophar's just repeating what he said here in verse 8. He shall, or verse 9, excuse me. The eye which saw him shall see him no more, neither shall his place be um, any more behold him. So he's just saying the very same thing. He goes, Job, this is what happens to the wicked. And this is what you said would happen to you. So, Job, you know what that means, right? You're, you're wicked. Well, in Job chapter 20, verse 10, Zophar says, The children of the wicked will want to fix what their evil parents have done. Job 20, verse 10. His children shall seek to please the poor, and his hands shall restore their goods. So he says, Job, this is what's going to happen to your children. This, they're going to try to straighten things out. Oh, but wait a minute, Job. You don't have any children. Well, John Gill says, and I quote, According to our version, the sense of this clause is, that after a wicked man's death, his children will seek to gain the goodwill and favor of the poor who have been oppressed by him, unquote. But you'll notice that they're still, Job's three friends are still bringing up Job's children, even though they were killed in that horrible windstorm caused by Satan. Well, in Job chapter 20, verse 11, he says, the youthful vigor of the wicked will end in the grave. Job 20, verse 11. His bones are full of the sin of his youth, which shall lie down with him in the dust. Now, notice that the words there, if you're looking at the King James Version, his bones are full. Of the sin is an italics. The, this was added by the translators. As a matter of fact, the 
American Standard Version omits that phrase of the sin. And I want to look at a couple of translations here. This is the literal translation rendering of the verse. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but it lies down on the dust with him. Young's literal translation puts it this way. His bones have been full of his youth, and with him on the dust it lieth down. Again, Wayne Jackson, Wayne Jackson excuse me, on page 53 of his book makes this statement. His youthful energy with which he practices evil will recline in the dust. Joe Hopper in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship book on page 198 states this, and I quote, The King James rendering, his bones are full of the sins of his youth, has nothing to justify it. Lusty and vigorous as he may seem yet in his full strength, he is brought down to the grave in the view of Zophar, unquote. Well, now Zophar tells of sin and the retribution that sin receives. And this is in verses 12 all the way down to verse 22. Well, in verses 12 and 13, Zophar says the wicked savor their ill-gotten gain and good conditions. Job 20, 12 and 13. Though wickedness be sweet in his mouth, though he hide it under his tongue, though he spare it and forsake it not, but keep it still within his mouth. So he's saying Job just like a good piece of candy, the wonderful flavor of the wicked's wickedness is savored by those wicked people. They roll it under their tongue like you would a piece of candy. They don't want to swallow it because they are delighted with the wickedness taste. And Job, you were savoring your wealth and good conditions. But sin is like a delicacy that causes food poisoning. Well, he says in verse 14, when swallowed, the result of their wickedness is bitter. Verse 14. Yet his meat in his bowels is turned. It is the gall of asps within him. The word turned there changed from sweet to bitter. Gall meaning bitter or poison as well as translated gall. The word asp there means to twist. It also it means an asp from its contortions. And it you think about it, Job, how do you feel? Well, Joe Hopper on page 199 of the Spiritual Sword Lectureship book put it this way, and I quote, <clears throat> Indeed, the evil man enjoys his own cunning. He sucks on it as though it were a candy under his tongue, as a wonderful treat, and he enjoyed it as long as he could. 
the man may revel in his wickedness and gloat over it, unwilling to swallow it down or let it go as an epicure or a gourmet over some dainty morsel, verses 12 and 13. But he will find it turns to poison within, verse 14, unquote. And then Zophar tells Job that God will cause the riches of the wicked to be vomited up. Job 20, verse 15. He has swallowed down riches, and he shall vomit them up again. God shall cast them out of his belly. So he's saying the sinner will vomit up all this ill-gotten uh, Ill wealth. God will see to that. So what's the implication here? Job, how did you get your wealth? Job, where is all your wealth? God caused you to vomit it up. Oh, and by the way, Job, you said this. In Job 19.21, Job 19.21 Job said, Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O my friends, for the hand of God that touched me. So right there, or excuse me, Zophar is saying, Job, you said that God touched you? God has made you vomit up all your ill-gotten gain, everything that you've received. You're getting it now, aren't you, Job? Well, in verse 16, Zophar says the wicked man that sucks up the wealth of others is going to find it to be poison to him. Job 20, verse 16. He shall suck the poison of ass. The viper's tongue shall slay him. All right, so Adam Clark concerning this verse makes this statement, and I quote, that delicious morsel that secret, easily besetting sin, so palatable and so pleasurable, shall act on the life of his soul as the poison of ass would do on the life of his body, unquote. So Zophar is here accusing Job of swallowing up the riches of others, of taking them in a sinful, horrible, terrible way. And then wicked, uh, excuse me, the wicked, Zophar says in verse 17, shall not see lasting prosperity. Verse 17, he shall not see the rivers, the floods, the brooks of honey and butter. In other words, he's saying, Job, the wicked man will not live long enough to enjoy the wealth he extorted from others. Oh, by the way, Job, uh, where is your wealth? Oh, and, and how is your health? You know, Job, think back of what you said. Let's go to Job 16, 16. Job 16, 16. Job says there, My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. And Zophar saying, here, you're not seeing the rivers. You're not seeing the floods and the brooks of honey and butter. You know, Job, you said this. 
You know what that means? You're wicked. Well, and then he says so far in chapter 20, verse 18, the wicked will give back the profit of his labor and will not enjoy it. Job 20, verse 18, that for which he labored, that for which he labored for shall he restore and shall not swallow it down. According to his substance shall the restitution be, and he shall not rejoice therein. In other words, Job, the wicked will not enjoy the things that he worked for lawfully, or those things that he obtained unlawfully. Job, are you enjoying your life? Well, in verse 19, Zophar says that the reason the wicked will not enjoy their wealth is because they obtained it through oppression and violence. Verse 19 of chapter 20. Because he hath oppressed and hath forsaken the poor, because he hath violently taken away a house which he builded not. So Zophar is here accusing Job of oppressing the poor and violently taking houses he did not buy. This is the first time that Job's friends bring out their accusations in this manner, specifically. He goes, Job, you were rich because you oppressed the poor and stole property from others. Now God is giving you what you deserve. And in verse 20 of chapter 20, Zophar says, The wicked are never satisfied, and they can never obtain all they want. Verse 20, Surely he shall not feel quietness in his belly. He shall not save of that which he desired. In other words, Job, you don't know tranquility now because you could not save any of your ill-gotten wealth. That's why you're so upset. You couldn't keep all that stuff you stole from other people. Well, so far in verse 21, says the excessive greed of the wicked will cause none of his goods to be left behind. Verse 21, then shall none of his meat be left. Therefore shall no man look for his goods. Well, Job, the prosperity of the wicked fades away. Oh, oh, Job, where is your prosperity? Oh, it's, it's faded away, hasn't it? You know why, right? You're wicked. You're evil. Zophar then tells Job that the people who suffered because of his conduct will turn upon him. Verse 22. In the fullness of his sufficiency he shall be in straits. Every hand of the wicked shall come upon him. The word wicked there, the Hebrew word amel, Strong's defines as toiling concretely a laborer, figuratively sorrow, sorrowful. 
So he is going to be sorrowful for all that has happened to him. And then Zophar speaks of God's wrath and vengeance upon the wicked, verses 23 to 29. Well, in verse 23, Zophar says, at their most satisfying minute, God's wrath will fall upon the wicked, verse 23. It says, when he is about to fill his belly, God shall cast the fury of his wrath upon him and shall rain it upon him while he is eating. So Zophar is saying destruction will come upon the wicked suddenly when he expects it the least. Oh, Job, how suddenly did you lose your wealth? How suddenly did you lose your children? How suddenly did you lose your health? Well, God is doing this to you, and you deserve it. And then in verse 24, Zophar says, The wicked are unable to escape the instruments of God's wrath. Verse 24, He shall flee from the iron weapon, and the bow of steel shall strike him through. The iron weapon referring to the sword, the bow of steel referring to an arrow of steel. All kinds of death await the wicked. Oh, and Job, you said this already. Look at Job 16, 13. Job chapter 16, verse 13. Job says here of God, his archers compass me round about. He cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare. He poureth out my gall upon the ground. So Zophar is telling him here, Job, you've already admitted this, and you can't escape God's wrath, and you're experiencing it right now because you deserve it. You are an evil man. You deserve what's taking place to you, Job. Well, in verse 25, Zophar says, Try though he may to escape. The wicked man will be mortally wounded and terror shall engulf him. Verse 25. It is drawn, it cometh out of the body, yea, the glittering sword cometh out of his gall terrors are upon him. So he's either talking about the arrow drawn from the quiver or the sword drawn from the sheath. But whichever it is, he's saying, there's no escape. The wicked is pierced through and through with calamity. Terrors on him. He is filled with terror. Oh, Job, remember what you said? Go to Job 13, 21. Job chapter 13, verse 21. And again, Job is speaking. We learn from chapter 12, verse 1. Job 13, 21. To God, Job says, Withdraw thine hand far from me, and let not thy dread make me afraid. 
So Zophar is saying, Job, God's terror is upon you now because you deserve it. In verse 26 of Job 20, Zophar says, darkness or destruction is reserved to the wicked and his ill-gotten gain. Verse 26, all darkness shall be hid in his secret places. A fire not blown shall consume him. It shall go ill with him that is left in his tabernacle or his tent. Again, Zophar is referring to Job's losses. He's saying the fire not blown. The word means kindled. It wasn't kindled by any person, any human being. That fire not blown is fire from God, Job. What remains of the wicked man's dwelling will be destroyed. And then he goes, Job, remember what you said back there in Job chapter 10. Go to Job 10, 20 to 22. Job 10, 20 to 22. Job says, Are not my days few? Cease then, and let me alone, that I may take comfort a little. Before I go whence, I shall not return, even to the land of darkness and the <coughs> excuse me, the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land of darkness as darkness itself, and of the shadow of death without any order where light is as darkness. So he's saying, Job, right there, you're experiencing just exactly what you said would come upon you. So, Job, you're admitting yourself that you're wicked. Well, in verse 27 of Job chapter 20, Zophar says there, instead of vindicating the wicked, heaven's going to reveal his iniquity. Job twenty twenty seven, The heaven shall reveal his iniquity, and the earth shall rise up against him. Well, now, Job, you said in Job 16 is where we want to go. Job 16, verse 19. You said heaven's going to vindicate you. Job 16, 19. Also, behold, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. In Job 19, 25, Job says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. So Zophar is claiming heaven and earth, they're not going to vindicate you, Job. They're going to show you how guilty you are. Albert Barnes says, and I quote him, the meaning here is that the whole creation would conspire against such a man. Heaven and earth would be arrayed against him. The course of events would be so ordered as to seem designed to bring his character out and show what he was. He would attempt to conceal his sin, but it would be in vain. He would hide it in his bosom, but it would be developed. He would put on the air of piety and innocence, but his secret sin would be known, unquote. In Job chapter 20, verse 28, 
Zophar says, In the day of God's wrath, all the wicked man's goods will be swept away as in a flood. Verse 28. The increase of his house shall depart, and his goods shall flow away in the day of his wrath. God's wrath is going to sweep away the wicked man's prosperity. Job, where's your prosperity? It's been swept away. Zophar thinks it was swept away by God's wrath. We know better because we can read the book, but Job didn't have that opportunity. Anyway, in verse 29, Zophar says this is what is going to happen to the wicked man. This is the portion of a wicked man from God and the heritage appointed unto him by God. All this destruction is what the wicked man inherits from God. Joe Harper on page 201 and 202 of the Spiritual Sword Lectureship book stated this, and I quote, Though Zophar's words were directed against the wicked in general, it is obvious that he had Job in mind all the while, unquote. Well, Wayne Jackson's words on page 54 of his work, The Book of Job, are a fitting conclusion to this chapter. He says, and I quote, The wicked will be destroyed, of course, and this poetic imagery depicts it very well. We know this to be so. For the Bible elsewhere affirms it abundantly. But what has this to do with Job? Unquote. Well, Job is going to answer Zophar's accusations there in chapter 21. And Zophar, again, kind of going back over that, Zophar just said all the wicked are going to have these consequences in their life. Their lofty stature has nothing to do with their final outcome. The wicked will perish forever, never to be seen again. Their children come to poverty. Their ill-gotten gain becomes as poison to them. They are never happy and satisfied in their greed. God will punish them in this life and the next. They are constantly terrified of death and calamity. Heaven and earth will rise up to declare the wickedness of the evil man. Well, Terry Hightower, Terry M. Hightower, in the 16th Spiritual, Lord's Spiritual Sword Lectures on page 232 stated this, and I quote, Zophar is an ivory tower theorist out of touch with real life evidence and logic, unquote. Well, let's look at Job's answers to Zophar's accusations, and Job is going to use the facts of life. First of all, in Job 21, 1-6, Job asks his friends if they will honestly face the facts. First of all, he, Job is going to tell his friends how to console him in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 21. Said, but Job answered and said, Hear diligently my speech, and let this be your consolations. Consolations from the Hebrew takum means passions or solace. Job asked them to speak, and if that, excuse me, Job asked them to let him speak, and if that does not satisfy, 
keep on ridiculing me like you have been. Verse 3. Suffer me that I may speak, and after that I have spoken, mock on. Job is going to tell his friends what the facts of life are concerning God's dealings with the wicked. First of all, in verse 4, Job insists that his complaint is not with human beings. Verse 4, as for me, is my complaint to man? And if it were so, why should not my spirit be troubled or impatient? So it was not so much what Job's friends have said that troubled him, but what he thinks God has done to him. The evil of his friends, those accusations of Job, it would be cutting and severe, but it was far, far more trying to Job what he was experiencing in his life. And Job wanted an answer from God. Job tells his friends they should be in disbelief because of what's happened to him. There in verse 5 of chapter 21. Mark me and be astonished, and lay your hand upon your mouth. Albert Barnes says that Job is saying this, and I quote, Look upon me, that is, attentively look on me, on my sufferings, on my disease and my losses. See if I am a proper object of reproach and mockery. See if I have not abundant reason to be in deep distress when God has afflicted me in the manner so unusual and mysterious, unquote. Terry M. Hightower on page 234 of the Spiritual Sword Lectureship book stated this, and I quote, if you will really look at my gross condition and being astonished by my evidence, countermanding your simpleton, all wicked men end in ruin premises, you will slap your hand over your mouths in silence, unquote. Well, Job is horrified over how he feels God has dealt with him, verse 6 of chapter 21. Even when I remember, I am afraid and trembling and taketh hold on my flesh. Job's sufferings overwhelmed him and filled him with horror. And again, he thinks God is behind that. Well, Job argues that not all wicked men face ruin in this life. And that's verses 7 down to verse 16. In verse 7, Job gives them the fact that the wicked do grow old and mighty in power. Verse 7, Wherefore do the wicked live and become old, yea, and are mighty in power? So the fact that Job presents here shows that what Zophar said was incorrect. In verse 8, Job states the fact that the wicked do see their children mature and enjoy their company. Verse 8, their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. So Job is saying you can see that the wicked have their children around them and mine are dead. Job says the wicked have peace in their homes. God's rod of affliction is not on them like it is on him. Verse 9. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. 
So again, Job is implying that the rod of God is upon him. And then Job states the fact that the godless prosper in business affairs. Verse 10. Their bull gendereth and faileth not, their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. God allows them to prosper through his providence. Now, God does not prevent them from becoming rich and having cattle that do not cast off their young. And yet Job has lost all of his cattle. Job states the fact in verses 11 and 12 that the children of the wicked live happily. Look at verses 11 and 12. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. So he says the children of the wicked are like frolicking lambs. The organ here that he's talking about is the mouth instrument like a reed pipe or a flute. But anyway, says the children of the wicked are not treated as Job's friends have suggested. They haven't become poor. Well, Job tells his friends that there are the wicked that live full life in prosperity and then die a quick and easy death. Verse 13. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. They don't all have a prolonged agonizing disease like Job has. And then Job states the fact that all of these blessings do come upon the wicked even though they have rejected God. Chapter 21, verses 14 and 15. Wherefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? The wicked don't want to know God's ways. You go over to Isaiah chapter 30, verses 8 through 11. Isaiah 30, 8 through 11. It says, Now go write it before them in a table or a tablet, and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, they asked the same question that Pharaoh asked back in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, where Pharaoh said there, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And then... Over in chapter, Job is saying in chapter 21, verse 15, the wicked are saying that their prayer has no profit. Terry M. Hightower again, page 237, Spiritual Sword Lecture, stated this. Madeline O'Hare calls the Godhead <clears throat> Pop J.C. and Spook, 
unquote. She didn't believe in God. Uh, she does now. Well, Job says he has nothing to do with the counsel of the wicked. Job 21, 16. Lo, their good is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. Job states that his friends say the wealth of the wicked is not in their hands, but the fact is, it is. And this statement refutes Satan's accusations that humans only serve God for profit. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. Job has rejected the counsel of the wicked by his actions. In verses 17 to 22, <clears throat> Job now argues that sometimes misfortune does happen to the wicked in this life. In verse 17, Job asks, How often do calamities come to the wicked as evidence of God's wrath? Verse 17, <clears throat> How oft is the candle of the wicked put out, and how oft cometh their destruction upon them? God distributed sorrows in his anger. So this does happen to some of the wicked. But how often it happens is not enough to say that it happens all the time, which is what Job's friends are saying. Job asks, how often does God rain down his anger against the wicked? Well, in verse 18, <clears throat> Job says, the wicked are like chaff and stubble and do not seem to suffer for their evil ways. It says there is stubble before the wind and is chaff that the storm carrieth away. Albert Barnes explains the verse this way, and I quote, How often is it that the wicked are made like stubble? You say that God deals with people exactly according to their characters, and that the wicked are certainly subjected to calamities. But how often does this in fact occur? Is it a uniform law? Do they not in fact live in prosperity and arrive at a good old age? Unquote. In verses 19 and 20, Job insists that God will reward the wicked man for his evil instead of his children. Verses 19 and 20, God layeth up his iniquity for his children. He rewardeth him, and he shall know it. His eyes shall see his destruction, and he shall drink of the wrath of the Almighty. So right there... <clears throat> Job's friends have insisted that God visit the punishment of the evil man on his children, but Job insists that God will punish the man himself. Sometimes God does visit the iniquity upon the fathers of the children, meaning that the consequences of sin are long-lived. Go back to the book of Exodus again, chapter 20, verse 5. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. It says there, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. They all hate God to the third and the fourth generation is what he's saying. And then in Job 21, 21, Job says the evil man does not care what happens to his family after he's dead. Job 21, 21. For what pleasure hath he in his house after him? 
when the number of his months is cut off in the midst. John Gill explains the verse this way, and I quote, As on the one hand the prosperity of his children after his decease gives him no pleasure and delight, so on the other hand the calamities and distresses of his family for his sins and theirs give him no pain or uneasiness. He knows nothing that befalls them, and it is no part of his concern. Let what will befall them, what will befall them. He cares not for it, he feels it not, he is not sensible of it, unquote. Well, the prosperity or trouble that comes their way will give the dead no pleasure or sorrow, but the spiritual condition of their family will concern some of the dead. Look at Luke chapter 16, verses 27 and 28. Luke chapter 16, verses 27 and 28. This is the rich man speaking to Abraham there in the Hadean realm. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, that being Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come also into this place of torment. So some are concerned for the spiritual well-being of their families that are dead and in torment in Hades. Well, Job then asked his friends in chapter 21 of Job, verse 22, if they can teach God. Shall any teach God knowledge, seeing he judgeth those that are high? Can you teach God? Wayne Jackson on page 55 of his book states this, and I quote, By suggesting a theory of divine activity that did not correspond with the observable facts, Job's opponents were actually questioning the Lord's wisdom and so his rebuke. Can anyone teach God knowledge? Unquote. Well, God judges angels, demons, and humans of every rank. In other words, so don't tell him how to deal with people. He knows. In verses 23 to 26, Job says that some of the wicked die prosperous and others die poor. In verses 23 and 24, he points to the fact that some die at the height of their health and wealth. Verse 23 and 24. One dieth in his full strength, being holy at ease and quiet. His breasts are full of milk, and his bones are moistened with marrow. You know, there's no generalization that can be made regarding the punishment of the wicked in this life. Now, all wicked, he's saying, do not die in ruin, and all of the righteous do not die in wealth and health. And then Job points out that some of the wicked do die in bitterness, verse 25. And another dieth in the bitterness of his soul and never eateth with pleasure. Some live happy lives and die peacefully. Others live under miserable conditions and die in that way. So he's disproving the argument made by his friends. And then in verse 26, Job says that the wicked in both conditions will rot in the ground. Verse 26, they shall lie down alike in the dust and the worms shall cover them. John Gill says concerning that verse, and I quote, There would be no such difference in the mode of their death as to determine anything about their character or show that one was the friend of God and the other was not. The friends of Job maintained that that could be 
certainly known by the divine dealings with people either in their life or in their death. Job combats this opinion and says that there is no such marked distinction in their life, nor is there any certain indication of their character in their death. Prosperity often attends the wicked as well as the righteous, and the death of the righteous and the wicked resemble each other. These are the companions alike unto them, and sweetly feed on one as the other, talking about the worms. The earth is their bed, and worms are their covering, even such who used to lie down in beds of down, and were covered with coverings of silk, now have the same bed and covering of those who used to lie on beds of straw, and scarce of anything to cover them. Worms are spread under them and are spread upon them. They are both their bed and their covering. And then Wayne Jackson stated on page 55 of his book, and I quote, Job's argument is simply this. One's earthly circumstances cannot be used as a barometer for determining his spiritual condition. And that is a lesson needed as much today as in his time, unquote. Well, we're going to stop right there today, and we're going to begin next week, Lord time, or next lesson, Lord willing. Uh, we'll start there in verses 20, verse 27 and go through the end of the chapter, and then we will look and see how far we can get with what Eliphaz may say and what Job may answer him as well. But this is a good stopping point for us today. So again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.